Welcome to the aggressive life. Chris Wilson is a man. Some might say he's a grown ass man. He, he had a vision, he put in the hard work, and he changed his story. As a serial entrepreneur, he's taking the minority position of hiring ex-prisoners and helping to raise the water level around him, but it hasn't always been like that. His story starts in a very hard place. He grew up in Washington, D.C., and Chris was surrounded by violence and despair. His family, his neighborhood, and life were constantly shattered by death, pain, and poverty. At the age of 17, Chris killed a man while defending himself. He was sentenced to a life in prison with no hope of parole. But that's not where the story ends. That could have been the end of Chris, except he had a new beginning while in jail. He devoted himself to improvement and chasing a vision. He created a master plan, a list of all the things he intended to accomplish and the steps he'd take to get there. Then he did the hard work to start knocking things off that list. Check mark by check mark, his life began to change after 16 years behind bars. A miracle. A judge set Chris Wilson free, and he hasn't wasted a single day since. As an entrepreneur, he starred several companies, and he employs returning citizens, helping men and women like himself get back on their feet. His book, The Master Plan, which I have right here, The Master Plan, My Journey from Life in Prison to a Life of Purpose, is a masterclass in positive aggressiveness. I can't wait to get into this with him. Welcome to the Aggressive Life Chris Wilson. Thank you so much. I think this is the best intro I've ever had in my life. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on the show today. Well, you're welcome. You can thank Dirt. Dirt writes all the intros, I believe. So I, that's the only time I, I sound intelligent when I read Dirt's words. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it probably makes sense to go back to the beginning of your incarceration Take me back there. Why'd you get, well, I, I know why you got in there. You know, you, you killed a guy, but could you take us back to that specific moment or is that just even too stressful for you to go back there? I see you're stretching your neck right now on Zoom. You're stretching your neck like, oh, do I got to talk about this again? Yes, you have to talk no, about it. It's not, it's not because of that. It's because I've been up painting all night. But so, so it was a really difficult time for me back then. You know, it, it made me think about you know, the year that I was incarcerated, 1996, I actually put that number in a lot of paintings because it was the equivalent of me being teleported to some new type of planet or universe where the rules were different. And I just got really depressed. I was in a really bad spot. And I called this moment in my life my rock bottom moment. And it was the moment that I decided to stop falling. I knew that I could fall uh, further, but, you know, I wanted to make a shift in my life. And so this is around the time when I decided to write up what I now call my master plan. And it was how I wanted to live my life, uh, how I wanted to become the person that I believed that I was. And it was all the things I needed to do to get there and to live that life. And that was many years ago. That was over maybe 20, 24, 25 years ago. And I've been living that life uh, ever since. And I've been helping a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of find that switch within themselves and try to push themselves to be be better. And, but this came, you had the master plan idea, the master plan idea when you were in prison. Yes. It's a pretty amazing concept that we're going to get into. But take us back to why you got in prison. What happened that day? 
Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was, like you explained, I was raised in a very difficult environment and I was losing family members and friends to gun violence. My mom was in a really abusive relationship with a, a, a crooked police officer. And as a result, we we had to uh, endure um, a few assaults from this officer oh. and he lost his job because of this. But when he got out of prison, he started stalking our family uh, and there was no law against stalking back then. So it was nothing really we can do. We started carrying uh, firearms and you know, I lost a few family members uh, and then they came after me and I ended up taking a person's life. And wait, so, wait, wait, hold on, Chris, you lost you, some family members. This was just random drive-bys or this was associated with this officer? I can't, I, I, you know, I can't prove it, but, you know, we, we were getting threats and, you know, my cousin was shot and killed. My brother was with him in front of the house. They shot my brother. I, I don't know why it happened. We don't know why it happened, but th- these things started happening to us, our family. And so I started carrying a gun. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you're, make sure I get this right. Your mother's in a relationship with an officer. Yeah. Relationship goes south. Officer doesn't let go of her, your family. Makes your, makes your life a hell. And whether other family members got killed, connect with the officer, or just the environment you were in, just the wheels start coming off. Absolutely. So Awful. you're 17, you're carrying a gun. What kind of gun do you carry? Uh, 45 and a 38. 45 and a 38. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I have a, um, I like guns. I have some guns. I have, I have my concealed carry, but I, I rarely, I rarely carry. I should probably tell everybody in the aggressive life. I carry all the time. So don't mess with me. I carry all the time. I rarely, but I rarely carry a gun just because of the, um, the stress of having it with you, the stress of, what happens if somebody sees it? What happens if I pull it at the wrong time? What happens? I it's just, I, so I, I rarely have a loaded gun on me. When you think back to that day, um, do you wish you had that loaded gun? Do you not wish? I mean, I think you could say I might've been killed that day. Yeah. Or I might've like, how do you think about that day? And that- I probably would be dead. A lot of, a lot of my friends were dying at the time. And so, and I acted out of fear. I mean, these these were grown men who came after me. I was 17 and they were mm. in their 30s. Uh, and I, I just was afraid. And there wasn't it wasn't my intention to go out and, and pull the trigger and take a person's life. But but they they jumped on me and I just pulled my gun out of fear. And unfortunately, I took a person's life. Uh, I am thankful that I don't have to carry a gun anymore. I, I even think back when I did carry a gun, the stress of even carrying a gun, and I was carrying a gun illegally, of, of like having to hide it under a car tire and put it in the bushes when you went into the store, like to make your bank deposits. And like, who wants to live like that? Right. No, I don't. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, you you went to prison, you got out of prison. We'll go back and do a deep dive about that in just a moment. But when you got out of prison, uh, or you went to prison, so the reason was, uh, you, it wasn't self-defense. They just said, this guy's 17. He, he's not registered to have a firearm. Is that, was that the auspices yeah, of I mean, it? I mean, pretty much. And to be honest, I did not come clean about exactly what happened at night. And I actually was like, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. But eventually I confessed and told the truth about what really happened at night. But yeah, these, these, these men came after me. They followed me. I went to different places with a lot of people hoping that they wouldn't do anything to me. And they still tried to do something to me, and and that's how it all um, went down. And I was charged as an adult and sentenced to life in prison. But 
I could have I could have told the truth about everything that happened. And yes, these, I believe, were mitigating circumstances that led to um, someone losing their life. And you're you're in for for decades <clears throat> in prison. And how was there a was there a, um, you know, a nonprofit that took up your cause and your case? And what did that process look like? Oh, no. Uh, there, there were a few lawyers who had a sympathetic uh, heart towards me and my story and just took an extra effort in, in helping my case. And it was real. It was it was consistent, but it was a long period of time that they would come visit me. They would maybe try something else or try a modification of sentence. And I would always be denied. And then on the sixth uh, attempt, you know, the, the court said that they were willing they would be willing to hear my case uh, and hear me out. I'm looking at you right now, and um, <laughs> please do not be offended by this. <laughs> please do not be offended by it. But like, honestly, you have a you have an innocent puppy dog demeanor about you. <laughs> Thank you. You know what I mean? It's just like uh, you're you've got a face. It's got no stress. You're happy to be here. You're and so I'm going like I'm happy. <laughs> you are. Did, did you always have this demeanor and this presence? Oh, no. no. Okay. I had, there was no picture of me smiling, I don't think, until the age of 23. No kidding. No, no picture, no picture existed. I don't think I've smiled at any picture. I'm sure I smiled like in real life, but it wasn't reasons to smile back then and be happy. And I'm genuinely happy right now, living my best life. So what happened at 23 that made you smile again? I, I started, I started to figure out what my purpose was in life. And, and as strange as it may sound, I was at a good place in my, in my life in prison and I, I really was embracing education, but it was just I was just focusing on myself. And so around age 23, I think I became a mentor in prison and I started helping other people. And it was a different kind of positive return uh, on the work that I invested in, in, in someone else, helping someone uh, learn algebra so that they can pass the high school uh, uh, diploma or just, you know, helping someone write an essay while in college. And watching people flourish, it, it just did something to me that uh, changed who I was as a person. And I think when I started focusing not just on myself, but helping other people, the blessings started to come back in my life tenfold. And that's actually when I got my sentence reduction. And that's when I came home and, and started making these uh, these strides in my life. When you talk about employing people who... Uh, are unemployable coming out of prison, which for, for our listeners, in case you're not aware of this, it's just a, it's just an awful, awful thing that someone comes out of prison having done their time and they've got to check the box of felon. You've been in prison, could check the box of felon, which makes it like they're virtually not going to be hired again. And then they got to support themselves. So it basically forces them to figure out a way to put food in the table, which is an unsavory means. And so there's more people who are coming aware of this. We just... We can't just permanently punish people who have done time and expect them not to earn a living. You got a solution to that. You're working on a solution with that. Tell us. Yeah, Brian, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, in all honesty, my opinion is that the system is set up exactly in exactly this way in order to deny people uh, their paths towards redemption, to get employment. Our system is really all about punishment. And, and that's something that I work really hard uh, in trying to reverse. And I believe that as taxpaying citizens out in society, we already pay for people to be incarcerated. We pay for the incarceration. Uh, way too much money, by the way. But we should be getting a return on our taxpaying dollars and we should be figuring out things 
and strategies that actually helps a person while incarcerated so that when they come home, they can get a job and they don't recidivate. And education and therapy are some of the key uh, strategies that we can implement in prison that will save us money uh, in, in our states uh, and and keep people home and and keep families connected and so I do a lot of work involved in that. So. Not only not only recidivate but not return to prison. That too. Yeah, we, we spend so much money on it. It's ridiculous. I think that's the same word. I think I defined that word right. You're dropping words on me. I don't know what's going on, man. I'm the guy who's been to graduate school. You guys have been in prison and you're freaking giving me words I haven't known. What is that about? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So tell us how you're helping people. Like, what is your What's your what's your calling here? What's your mechanism? Because you're you're really doing it, bro. Yeah. So so for the past couple of years, I started a foundation, CWF, uh, Chris Wilson Foundation, and we focus on prison education, uh, life skills enhancements, financial literacy, uh, and supporting art related programs and reentry, helping people reacclimate into society. And so we've created a, a few courses, uh, curriculum. These master plan courses, which are 13 week courses that are facilitated by formerly incarcerated people who we train uh, to facilitate these courses inside of prison. They work alongside social workers and caseworkers, and it helps people essentially walk through the steps that I went through in turning my life around, helping people develop self-agency and believing that the decisions that we make today can change our uh, the course of our lives by if we believe that we, we if we study and I, I read these books, I can go out and I can get a job uh, and I can get my, you know, buy my first apartment and buy, buy a car. Uh, you start to behave differently. We help people learn about trauma and what trauma does to your body and how you can deal with trauma. Um, we, we talk about uh, career goals and helping people think through what is it that they really want to do with their lives instead of just saying, I'll work any job because I have bills to pay. And so it's essentially these things. I know it's simple, but I think the right mindset, if people can develop the right mindset, they'll be unstoppable. And this is how I made it this far. You list Plato's allegory of the cave as being significant for you in prison. Tell us about that. Why Why is that? I literally think about Plato's allegory to cave every single day. And, and it goes back again to mindset. And, and in this cave, for those who haven't are not familiar with the story, these prisoners who are locked up in this cave all their lives and these shadows that are cast on the wall, they believe they interpret that as reality and it's not real. And in some in some instances of the story, a prisoner escapes and discovers the real world. And he's either returned back to the cave or decides to go back into the cave. And now it's his responsibility uh, to wake his friends up to get them to see the real world. And so this is this ties into reality today out in society where people may say, especially in the hoods, like, oh, you know, my life is just my block. These four corners that I grew up in, that my daddy grew up in. That's all I know. I don't believe that I can be a lawyer one day or I can go on vacation to Cancun, Mexico. And so they just don't see the world that way. But like that, that are, that, those are people who are in the figurative cave. That's what it means to me. We did a um, <clears throat> tutoring program for years. We still have a lot of people at the church I lead, which is my day job, do tutoring for kids who are at risk. But we had a program that we owned and operated called Kaleidoscope. And I'll never, I'll never forget the 
reorientation was to understand the life of many kids in the inner city when we would we would go down and get them on a bus and bring them to our church, which is, it's in city limits, but it's in, in a nicer area. And we thought about, well, do we just go where they are? We'll take all the people down there. And, and part of the argument was, no, we need to give these kids another experience outside of their thought. Not like we need to get them out of their area. We're afraid to go there. And we seem to give them a different experience. First night, first day, because we're going down and pick them up, you know, late afternoon. And we pick them up. We're taking the bus up. And this kid points over through the window and goes, what is that? And the person, one of the volunteers on the bus says, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm looking out the window going, what, 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 what are you talking about? That, that thing looks at him, looks out the window and said, you mean the sun that's, that's setting? And I said, is that what that is? The sun setting? Wow. That's beautiful because they've only lived in a place where there was high buildings all around them. They've never actually seen a sunset. They were like 12 years old or something like that. Um, that's, that's example of the cave. When all you've been is in that thing, you can't see anything else. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly right. Yeah. And so I talk about it a lot. I, I look at the world that way and I always try to see the beauty in the world, see the beauty in people, uh, despite what you may see that's right in front of you. I try to see through it or, or further away from it. You've got this master plan. It, did, is that what launched the master plan idea? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's one of those things where uh, when I decided to write up it, initially, it was like a bucket list. I wrote up all these things that I wanted to accomplish, stuff that I wanted to learn, places I wanted to go, food I wanted to eat, and how I would be remembered. I called it my end game. And, and what people would say about me when I wasn't around. And so I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I wanted to start a business one day that helped people, that improved my community. Uh, I wanted to travel. I wanted to buy my dream car, a black Corvette convertible. Uh, it was some, some of the things were a little silly on the list because I was young when I wrote it. But I wrote it, and it was my plan. And so every day after that, I started working backwards. And I started doing everything to get me closer to checking things off of my list. And so I spent a large portion of my life studying uh, foreign languages and going to college and reading hundreds of books and, and going to the dry erase board and just trying to uh, strategize how I would improve my life. And so I've been free now for 10 years uh, and I've helped, uh, you know, just under 300 people get jobs uh, in Baltimore City. I've started companies. I've traveled to 28 countries now. Uh, I'm doing, I'm helping a lot of people, thousands of people uh, through my foundation. And so uh, that's, that's the smile on my face earlier. I'm just happy. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I have a nice home. I got nice people around me and I'm doing good work. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep smiling. Well, yeah, you're smiling, a little puppy dog. And not only that, you look, you look like you're 19. How old are you, dude? Oh, I'm actually 44. Yeah. You don't black. look it, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're 19. Black Corvette convertible. Did you get one of those black Corvette convertibles? Yes. Black Corvette convertible and the black Ferrari convertible. <laughs> you got yeah. them both, huh? Yeah, they downstairs. Yeah, I think that's, um, and there's some people who go, oh, you don't, you don't need a car. Oh, why would you have a goal like that? But, you know, I, I love that because it's a sign to you, that thing's a sign to you that you made it, that you got out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things like I, I keep this little small matchbox car over my desk. It's a yep. little Corvette, or like a 57 or something. Yep. And my mom used to tell me when I was young, she used to bring me these little cars. 
And I was like, I'm going to get this call. And they says, well, you got to do the right thing. You got to work really hard and you go out and get it. And so for me, it's just one of those symbols of there was something that I wanted. I worked really hard for a long time, maybe 20 years. Uh, and I went and brought my dream car by doing it the right way. And you can apply that to anything in life. Could you tell us other things that were on this master plan? Is this basically a, a bucket list of things you want to do? Yeah. And you, do you keep adding things? Do you, do you check things off and add things on? Just well, like, give us some examples there. Yeah. So, so I, I do add some things to it. Uh, but you know, some of the things that are on there uh, originally were make sure I write everything down my goals, uh, taking my life more serious, creating a personal board of advisors. And these would be people who would help advise me through all aspects of my life. So I currently have maybe five or six people on my board. People are good with finances, people who are, are wise in relationships, uh, people, uh, lawyers, and just, you know, all kinds of wise people that I have on my personal board. And they just give me advice. And I'm, I'm, I'm involved in their lives, but we just have this relationship where I just, I, they're my counsel. And so I do that. Other things uh, are just places that I wanted to visit. Uh, I think work and, and, and uh, like travel life and just like taking care of yourself, uh, that balance is really important. So I go on vacation every five weeks. So I work really hard. Five weeks later, I go on a vacation for a couple of days, work real hard, and then go on another vacation because I can't give the world 100%. If I don't take care of myself. So I do stuff like that. Uh, I wanted to write a book, which, I, which I've done. Uh, I wanted to travel the world. I'm still working on it. Um, I wanted to learn Spanish. I've accomplished that and learned uh, a few other languages. Uh, and it's just things like that, that as I start to check them off the list, uh, I start to feel better about myself. It just feels good to be able to say I work really hard and I got a college degree. One of those things that was definitely on your list was beyond the aggressive life with Brian Tome. I know that, that was part of, your, part of your master plan, right? It's yeah. on there now. And I know another one is uh, donate a black car to a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because... I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. I always struggle when I hear people have a master plan or a bucket list because I've been really poor at that. I'm actually, with anything planning, I'm really poor at. I'm not poor at doing things, getting things done. Uh, I've done 
uh, the aggressive life is basically, hey, if you think about it, just aggressively go after it right now. So I don't have a for, – for a lot of people, I've got these lists of long things that they, they could actually do – Today, they could actually do them this month, this year. They just keep putting it off and putting it off. And I, you know, I'd be like, hey, if I can do that, like, bam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna like to make that happen and plan it out right now. But I always wonder if I'm missing something by not having a list like you have. Do you think that I should have a list like you have? I do think you should have a list. And one of the, the other things that are on uh, my things to do is you got to have accountability partners. So first, yes, you should have a list. You should write some stuff down, uh, some goals or, or whatever it is that, you know, you define a beautiful life as. You share your list with someone and say, over the next five years, here's what I'll focus my life on. Here's the things I'm going to be doing. And every time you see each other or you see this person, they should hold you accountable. They should ask you, like, so what's the status? You get your high school diploma? Did you did you get your college degree? How are you in Spanish right now? And uh, they become your accountability partners. And that's another thing that you can do so that you stay focused. How many things should be on your master plan list at any given time? It's, it's up to the individual. But my, my list was two pages long. I think front and back, probably. There's a lot of stuff. Some stuff was home-cooked lasagna or go to the Picasso Museum, hmm. you know, stuff like that. That'd be a really fun exercise, actually, redoing that. I, yeah, you should do it. Dirt, do you have anything like that? You and your no, wife? I don't. I don't. I don't have anything written down, and now I feel like I should. Yeah, it's a, that'd be a, be a fun dreaming activity, you know. Yeah, it it it, it really would. My I, professors I, in business school call it applied dreaming. You dream about it, but then you apply it. It's like, all right, I got to really like work towards doing this. I I put one together about fifteen years ago, and I can't remember where I put it. I don't know where it is. Um, but I'd like to find it just to go back where my heart was. Like, I know one of the things I put on there, which is, these are things that I can't manufacture. It was like, I'd like to see someone raised from the dead. Oh, you know, <laughs> I know how you pull that off. But yeah, uh, I know, I know, I know. I, I can't pull that off. I can't, I mean, God can pull that off. He can pull it up, but I, I can't, but it's like, I'd love to stand with it. I actually would have put back then too. I'd like to see a, a literal physical healing. Well, I've seen that many, actually many times in the last 15 years. So my stuff wasn't just going and doing things, but it was the, also things like to see that I can't strong arm on my own. One thing that would be in there right now is I got I want to get a hunting trip to Alaska. I backed off of that a couple of years ago, but I want to do that. So that's a good, that's a really good push, Chris. Yeah. I'm going to hold you accountable now. So next time I talk to you, I'm going to ask you, have you made any progress? Ooh, that would be an interesting follow-up. I got to tell you, man, I got to tell you, I'm really not liking this podcast at all because, <laughs> because you're making me feel like a loser. You are, man. You're making me feel like a loser. Like you're mentioning all the, all the languages you've learned. I know one, it's called English, and I've failed at learning Spanish so many times. And so you're pushing me on that. I don't like that at all. I need it, but I don't like, I don't like this idea of, okay, I got to start getting better planning. I need it, but I don't like it. So you're pushing me really well, man. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You say in, uh, in your book, let me just quote it for you. Quote, I like to say I panicked. I'd like even more to say I was trying to miss but I can't lie. I have to take responsibility for the things I've done. Speaking of pulling the trigger, uh, you did take, I don't understand the quote. You did take responsibility for it, right? You, you did. But not, not initially. And, and, and when I first went to prison, I had this belief that 
they they started it. They came after me, and there was almost like the, a gradation of responsibility that that uh, you know I had to accept certain responsibility. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if they came after me or like they they could have hurt me. I I still performed the act of taking a person's life. And so I had to just accept that. And that was the only way that I can genuinely have remorse and move forward. And and it took a long time. It it took some years in prison for me to really like grasp that and understand it. Okay. Um, Chris, I'm not your parole board. You already got out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I I am too. Like uh, this sounds really awful, but I'll say it before I say it again. Sometimes violence is the answer. And anybody, anybody who does not understand that has never been bullied, they've never been picked on, some, they've never gone to World War II. They, you know, some, sometimes you had someone who was trying to kill you and had killed other people you know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make you feel better. Like, dude, I'm not sure you did anything. I'm not sure you did anything wrong. Yeah, I, you shouldn't have lied, I guess, and the cops came to you at 17. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I think force was, if not justified, at least understandable here. Yes? Yeah. No? No, I, I appreciate that. I just wish that it never happened. Though. Oh, okay. Amen. Right. Yeah, just right. wish that never happened. I love that. That's, that's completely true. I hope I never take a human life. I never, I never do. What's the aftermath of that like? I mean, is there, is there stuff in your mind that replays that again and again? Is, is the taking of a human life different than the taking of a animal life? I don't know if you've ever hunted or done something like that, but is what, what kind of, you know, how, how was it awful? Or was it just another action that led into death? Yeah, I, w- I will say, I mean, it, I don't think I can accurately describe it, but but yeah, you, you think about, I had a, I had a chance to really like think about through certain groups that I participated in victims impact group to hear what it's what it feels like to lose a family member. I know what it feels like to feel to lose a family member, uh, but just like no one wins when someone's killed uh, in society. There there are multiple families that are impacted by it. Um, I, I think a lot about it. I have nightmares sometimes. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean I think about it. It's it's just something that it's, it's a regret that I have. And like I said, I wish it never happened. Um, but, you know, I spend the rest of my life uh, trying to atone for, for what happened and try to help other people not be in situations that I was in that led me into prison or that led someone being killed. Yeah. How many people do you personally employ? At the moment, uh, I'm actually not sure. Maybe, maybe like 10 people. I don't have a lot of people that work for me now. Maybe 10, seven to 10, I think. Uh, but we, we're, we're hiring right now. So we'll probably, we'll probably be at like 12 or 13 uh, in the next couple of weeks. Do you feel the burden of weight and responsibility for those lives and those people? That's, that's pretty stressful, isn't it? It is for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And, and it is. But, you know, I was saying this to my therapist not long ago. This is the type of, this is the positive pressure that um, forces me to perform. So if I know I got people who, you know, a handful of my people brought their houses, uh, brought their first homes uh, while working um, for me. And I think about that. These are people that are uh, that are banking on me, uh, relying on me and, uh, as a livelihood to pay their bills. And so I got to get up. I got to be strategic. I got to pay my people. I got to move the ball down the field with my work. 
I got to raise money. I got to make money. But yeah, like that's what it's about. And so uh, I get up in the morning and I do my job. So uh, yeah, it it is, you know, I do think about it sometimes, but I perform well under pressure. When you were in prison making your master list, was there one on there that said, employ 10 people and take willful stress on my life to help others? <laughs> I don't think I put that on there, but this time my bed turned great, actually, uh, just, just managing people and, and making payroll and, you know, yeah. insurance and lawyers and bookkeepers. But yeah, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way though. Yeah, it sounds so sexy to have your own organization, your own business and to have people on uh, employing them. And it's it sounds really great for people who have never done it. And for those of us who have or do, it's a it's a stress and a weight that um, is quite significant. I, I guess you could be a psychopath and not feel the pressure and stress. But man, I do. I feel it too, every day. Yeah, it's tough. When I ask our HR person, so how many people do we employ right now? And they tell me, I go, what? That many? <laughs> so, so she's learned just to tell me some small number, the same number it was like three years ago. And so I stopped getting stressed. It, it just, it really does. It freaks me out. When you got out of prison, your first day, what was that like? What'd you do your first day? Did you start in your plan, your master plan the first day? Take us back. I did actually. Uh, so the, my first day, this is a little, I don't think it's strange, but I spent the entire night online uh, on YouTube and just Googling stuff. I just couldn't believe that I could type in a question or uh, instructional video. And it was so much shit that I didn't know. I'm excuse my language, but uh, I wanted to learn how do to not, type. You do not say shit on this podcast. Tell right now, you know, well, we're, we're okay to have somebody on here who's killed people, but we will not tolerate the word shit. <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> But just things that I wanted to learn. So I found that really fascinating. And then uh, Google Maps, just like figuring out how to get places. And I was like, I just couldn't believe the the level of technology that was available. And I just figured, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to be unstoppable because anything I can learn, I can I can learn it online. I was doing Khan Academy to like understand like economics and, and watching TED Talks. Like I, it was great. I still do this stuff. It's wonderful. That's why I spent my first day doing that. Is the internet completely blocked from you in prison? Yeah. 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 So your first day, you're just overwhelmed by opportunity, possibility, internet, all that sort of stuff. Was there a was there a crash where it was like information overload and freedom overload? And you just like, I I can't compute. No, nah, it never stopped. I, I would I would say the exact opposite. I was like Neo in the Matrix. I just started seeing, reading the binary code, and I just started going down the rabbit hole of just learning and learning and studying and, and you know, applying for jobs and in and, and college. I just started going crazy uh, with it, and I don't think I've ever stopped. I don't think I've ever stopped. I, I get up early in the morning. I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts. I listen. I watch YouTube videos. Anything. I just I just enjoy it. I love to learn and study. I read a new book every week. Hmm. And so this is, yeah, this is my food. How long have you been out of prison right now? Uh, over 10 years. Uh, going over, on 11, actually. 11 years. And you were in for how long? 16 and a half. 16. Okay. Is there any, is there any perspectives that you have that you say, man, 
this isn't a problem. I know what a problem was being behind bars for 16 years. Is there any, any way that you look at problems differently or challenges differently that you might be able to counsel us? Like, finish this fence, sentence, like, all you people who've been to prison, you should never have a stressful day because you should realize blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, I can I can try to answer this question, but what I I will say that given my uh, experience, I do look at I look at life differently in the sense that uh, my perspective on life is is calibrated in a certain kind of way where I expect things to go wrong, Murphy's law stuff to happen, and how do you pivot? How do you get back up? How do you be re- resilient? And so those are things that I those are transferable skill sets from prison that that I uh, still uh, 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 employ today. Uh, But I also think about the importance of dreaming and and strategizing on how to accomplish things or how to live uh, a good life. And those are things, those are mindset skills that I developed while in prison. And so it doesn't matter what it is. If I needed to learn how to write computer code today, uh, I would come up with some plan to do it. I would probably use the chat bots, uh, uh, the uh, new yep. AI, artificial intelligence to write the code for me. But uh, anything that I want to do in life uh, today, I think my past experience, the way I would approach it is just different. Like I'll write things down, I'll strategize. And and I'll also walk away from stuff and say, this isn't worth it. I'm going to walk away just because I learned that <laughs> in prison. Yeah. What podcast do you listen to regularly? Oh, um, I listen to a lot. Most of my friends. Just other, than, send, other than the aggressive life, other than the aggressive yeah. life, what, what are the ones economics, you listen to? Right? I listen to a lot of like Freakonomics, a lot of like nerdy economics uh, stuff, a, a ton of, of art podcasts about auction houses and strategies and museum acquisitions. I like to nerd out on stuff like that. I don't think I have a specific uh, favorite one right now. I don't think. But um, I just listen to them all the time. People just send me stuff every day. Literally, I just listen to it and I just find stuff fascinating. I like really interesting people, too. People um, who uh, defy the odds, the hero's journey. And yeah. so I love I love to listen to stories of people, the comeback kids and people who just bounce back. In prison or right now, were you or are you bitter towards God and the hand that was played in your life, or is even the thought of God just not a presence in your mind, so therefore you don't wrestle with it? I've never been asked this before. Uh, I would say I've had, uh, I've reconciled with God while I was in prison. I went through moments in my life where I had lost my faith, and I remember praying for signs for a while, and I remember uh, like it was yesterday, uh, getting a few signs uh, from God, and I've been guided on the right path ever since. And so, uh, I don't think I have any like doubt or question in, in a high power. Um, and I think you know, I, I I'm living in my my I'm living my best life right now. And so I, yeah. I got I definitely have to thank God for for making it this far. I mentioned before that when we started, you had that happy puppy dog face. And then as you just talked there, I, I could tell I, without trying to, tapped into something deep. You started talking about signs and your face went uh, very stone cold and emotional. Um, so I know there's something personal there. Would you mind like telling us what one of those signs were or how you interpret it as God was present? And And you said you don't get asked this stuff. Yeah, because many people are afraid to ask 
what the vast majority of Americans believe, and that is God. I believe God as in Jesus. Other people see God as something different. I'm not trying to split hairs on whose God is right. I'm just seeing that we're a little bit afraid to have a God conversation when the vast, vast majority of people have something internal that they're leaning on. So if you wouldn't mind letting me into your heart there, that'd be cool. Like, what's a sign? Yeah, I mean, uh, one sign was I was working really hard in prison, and I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be free again. I wanted a second chance to live my life. And I didn't get that chance until I started praying. So like on the sixth time and I started praying, I, I was I that was my first sign. There was other signs where I just wanted guidance uh to make the right decisions in stressful situations uh that that ended up helping a lot of people. Uh asking for strength in, in, in situations where, you know, I maybe lost all my employees because people quit or, or got arrested and I had to finish a job that I wasn't physically capable of finishing, but end up staying up three days and, and finishing the job and winning the contract. And just all these moments of my life of adversity uh, where just my hard work alone wasn't enough. And so I have to credit some faith and a lot of my accomplishments. Wow, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic. You mentioned one of your quotes is hope powers change. Why is that? You got to believe that these ideas and these visions and your end game is actually possible for you to get up and work really hard to do stuff. You know, I had a, a homie who reached out to me, said, you know, I'm going to go to school to get my trucking's license and I got to go to school for like a couple of months I think a person who really believes and, and envisions that that uh, moment when they sit in that truck driver's seat and, and they're getting paid, you know, $30 an hour, $50 an hour and driving a truck and listen to their favorite song. If you believe that it's possible, you perform differently when you study versus someone is just like, I'm going to do this because someone said I should do it. I probably won't pass my exam anyway. I don't know why I'm doing this. This is this is dumb. They're not going to perform as well as someone who believes that they'll have an actual career if they put this work in. And so it's just that mindset, uh, which I think is important. That's a really good word. When I was asking about prison and all that, my prison was going to school. I, w I wasn't good at it. <laughs> it was traumatic for me. Bad memories, still the most recurring nightmare I still have, just had it the other week, was I've got a test tomorrow, and I'm not prepared for it, and I'm going to flunk out. It just, it's there all the time. It's like a prison, it's like a, pri I, I really can't get over it because I have so many bad memories that were really induced by me. I'm not blaming on education. It was induced by me because what you just said right there, I wish I had understood that when I was in grade school, because I always viewed education as a moral responsibility, because that's how my parents pitched it to me. It's a moral responsibility. Well, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't driven by moral responsibility. If I would have understood someone say, Brian, school's going to suck, a lot of it. But here's the thing. It's going to be difficulty, and life is difficult. It's going to give you more opportunity. I, it I never dawned on me like, oh, you mean if I go through this and do something I don't want to do, if I do it well, I could make more money and do more things. Like, I ne duh, stupid ass me. I never got that. Yes, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And yeah, it's important. Mindset is critical. All right. Now we come to come uh, our time, Chris Wilson. 
where we have the lightning round. Lightning round is when I ask you something and you answer it quickly like a bolt of lightning, like like no long soliloquies, just are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Most aggressive move you're making right now. I am studying French. Oui, oui. The one thing every entrepreneur needs to do. Make sure that you have a very strong, intelligent board of advisors. The next business adventure you're excited about. Uh, ed, ed Tech. I'm building a software course. Oh, interesting. Okay, let's let's go off the lighting lighting line for a little bit. It's called Ed Tech. No, it's 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 educational. It's tech educational technology. Yeah, just by building coursework content for folks to help them learn and think differently. Oh. Super excited about that. Sweet. All right. Biggest thing returning citizens need upon their release back into society. Uh, emotional support. It's not just a job or a place to stay. You need a few people who uh, can support you, this transition, this cultural shock, or reacclimating back into society. Great. You mastered the right lightning round. Very, very good. You actually kept the rules and had coherent good things to say. Derek, that, that's rare. That is very rule rare. Follower. Yeah. Very rare. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're a rule follower. Yeah. You got you you carried a gun that you should have carried and killed somebody. Oh, yeah, you're a rule follower, Chris. Yeah, real rule follower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, man, I'm just joking now. I feel like we're best buddies. Like, that's something I would have said if I knew you for, like, a few months and we had some beers in us. We haven't. I just kind of poked you having fun. We've only known each other for 50 minutes. But I got to tell you, I'm really impressed, hyper impressed. You face so much tragedy. What's the key to dealing with tragedy and heartache and PTSD? Because you, you had more, definitely more than I have. What, what do you do when you're feeling that? I, I think that you said it earlier when you talked about, when you uh, mentioned how I wrote about hope, just having hope and believing that you know, you're not defined by a mistake you may have made in the past uh, and that, you know, you can live a beautiful life. So many people have been through similar situations as myself and, and oftentimes may give up. I just like to believe that there's still more life to live. There's still more good to do in the world. And and life is better living it that way versus being bitter and upset about the past. That is so good. Chris, is there anything that we should be talking about or you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? No, I think I think uh, people should follow me on Instagram, Chris Wilson's Life, and follow my endeavors, all my art projects, and uh, check in on my foundation, chriswilsonfoundation.com. We're doing amazing work. I work alongside uh, ninjas who are really good at their jobs, uh, and I'm happy. That's good. I was just going to ask you that, that next. Like, Give us your stuff so we could follow up with you. This is really good. Dirt, I got to tell you, I'm not really excited about this podcast. <laughs> I, I tell you, I kind of feel like a turd right now. I do like, I, 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 I expect to get into some of these questions, but like, I'm going, man, now the dude's learning French. I'm a, I'm a loser. I haven't even learned Spanish yet. Very impressive. I've, I've kind of justified my lack of planning, but you're really, you've really pushed me on this. I think I'm going to have to have a good conversation with my wife about what. You got to step it up a little bit. And, I, I do. We got we to hear some progress. Oh, now you're going to be my accountability? <laughs> That's right. Dude, <laughs> come on, man. I just, wanted a fun, I just wanted a fun podcast. Now you're going to be accountable? All right. 
Once a week check in. <laughs> All right, Dirt, let's do this. How about we do this? How about, how about we have Chris back and we'll talk about this let's stuff do it. a year from now, right. a six month. So we'll do that. So this is this is my close to obviously aggressive life. Hey, man, you know the deal. This is my time right now to tell you the aggressive life is not the interesting thought life. That's not what it is. The aggressive life is not the cool ideas I just learned today life. The aggressive life is about pushing you to do something. Chris Wilson has just pushed us. He pushed us when he chose when he could have been bitter for a bad rap. He chose to fight against it when he could have just gone inside of his hole inside of his cave in prison. He tried to learn and tried to set goals and try to set plans when he could have justified coming out of prison and just staying to himself and trying to recover. He started employing people when he could have justified that knowing one language in America is enough. He's added different ones of him. I mean, there's a bit dudes thing after thing after thing after after thing. Ladies and gentlemen, come on, man. Come on, man. This guy, seriously, this guy has spent most of his life with a foot in the bucket. Most of his life with pain and difficulty that someone like me has never had. I've never had my wife or my mother in a affair with a police officer. I've never felt bullied by police officers. In fact, one just gave me a warning and a traffic citation today. I've never felt like they were co- coming after me. I've never, I've never had to recover from prison. I've not, I, mean, I would go on and on and on and on. I don't know. I don't know if I had any one of those things, what I would be like. And that's why Chris, you inspire me. All these things, one after another, you keep pushing, you keep pressing. You don't make it an excuse. Way to go, dude. Man, you're one of my favorite guests. Well done. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, We'll see you next time and sometime in the future with Chris Wilson. I'm not going to say when because I might not want him to hold me accountable for, <laughs> for 10, 10 years yet. But we're going to have back and we'll talk about my, my list and where we're going to go. Thanks for coming on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tomes, a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.